This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. All right, everyone. Thanks for joining me here again on the Football Odyssey. This is your host, Aaron Harris. Today's episode will be an interview with LaVon Kirkland, the former Clemson Tiger and Pro Bowl linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers, who anchored the middle of the field for that vaunted Steelers defense of the 1990s that came to be known as Blitzburg. In our discussion, LaVon takes me all the way back to his early days at Clemson and walks me through various moments of his Steelers career, including the most memorable games and plays of his time, the influence that the Blitzburg defense left on the modern NFL, his adjustments to the pro game, and more. LaVon is currently the VP of Development for the South Carolina Football Hall of Fame and is the host of the Inside Blitz podcast. If you'd like to follow LaVon on social media, I've added his Twitter and Instagram handles in the description. And speaking of social media, feel free to reach out, follow, subscribe, and share if you liked our conversation today. With all that being said, I hope all Steelers fans alike appreciate this trip down memory lane with big number 99 and now sit back and enjoy the show all right LeBron Kirkland welcome to the show sir how are you this evening I'm doing well how are you doing I'm doing well you just got done recording you just got done recording your own podcast right yes I did how did you get involved doing that you know they just kind of asked me out of the blue they just kind of wanted to know if I was interested in doing it and I think it was after, I want to say after I got into the Ring of Honor at Clemson University that the Believe Network asked me to be a part of it. So I thought it would be a, a pretty good idea. So I just did it. I always wanted to be like a, talk, a radio show host or a podcaster. So I jumped at the opportunity. Do you think being interviewed so many times throughout your career um, helped you prepare for to do something like this? Yeah, I think so. Uh, even when, even when I was in high school, I was preparing myself to do interviews. So, you know, I, I got to Clemson, and you know, I polished a couple of things up, and it was funny. I was kind of the go-to guy that always got interviews. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel that definitely being interviewed a whole bunch, you kind of get a feel of questions and what, you know, answers and how to kind of feed off certain questions that you get. So, yeah, I think that experience really helped me out a great deal. Is there one interview you've done that stood out to you? Ooh, one interview that I've done that really stood out? Um, you know. I don't know if there's one that really stood out, but I think I've done some that really kind of changed my dynamic and how I looked at things. Uh, there was a guy named Brian Mance that I did uh, an interview with, and he had a illness that left him paralyzed, and just his positive attitude about how he's going to walk again really, uh, really touched me deeply. Uh, you know, you think about sometimes when you think you're going through something and you look at someone else and they're going through even worse. And I thought his interview was very powerful. 
Yeah, that's kind of the good thing about like a conversation that it can really kind of put things in context and really kind of humble you even in all areas. You know, when you think you know it all, when you think you have a bad, it really gives you that sort of uh, context to know that there's a lot more trouble out there. Yeah, no question about it. Like I said, his story was amazing. I interviewed a guy that they just did a Disney movie. Um, Ray Ray met Ackerman. I can't really say his last name, but they, um, they did a movie off him that was called Safety. Mm-hmm. And he played at, and he played at Clemson University. And his story was pretty powerful as well. So I, I kind of like doing those. I mean, I like doing interviews with, you know, certain sports guys, but when you can find something that kind of relates to life and, you know, they can tell their life story and give wisdom, I think that's always a wonderful trade-off, you know, kind of the sports leadership type deal. And, you know, those are some of my best interviews that I've done. Yeah, it's like finding that human interest angle in a way. Right. And it's funny too, because I actually, uh, I lived in Atlanta for the past three years and I recently just moved. But when I was there, I actually got to know one of the extras who played uh, in that movie, Safety, based off his life. Mm-hmm. And I actually interviewed him because he does, he's actually from Pittsburgh. He went to Duquesne's and played nose guard. Um, okay. But that was interesting to kind of hear his experience about how they choreograph football action. Because whenever mm-hmm. they're uh, put the um, cameras in the uh, helmets when they're doing the kickoffs, because it kind of seems frightening and it seems so real, but it's kind of a, one of the interesting tricks of the trade. Yeah, you know, actually, uh, I actually did an interview with the guy who does the sports coordination okay. for safety, and he did other stuff like any given Sunday, a lot of sports movies. Uh, Mr. Ellis. And it was fascinating to hear his story, how he got into it and and all the movies that he's done over the years. So we got that little thing in common. We interview the uh, same type of guys. Yeah, six degrees of separation. Yeah, that's what they say. Yeah. Before we uh, go deeper into your playing career and your background, I'm kind of curious, what has uh, been a harder season to swallow so far, Pittsburgh or Clemson? Mm, I would have to say Clemson probably because, you know, I, I played at Pittsburgh and I, and I want them to win. I, I really do. It's not that, but I think, you know, um, most guys would tell you that it's their college that they really have a little bit more deeper emotions. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel that way about Clemson. Um, I, I try to, make sure I maintain poise. But yeah, if the Steelers lose, you know, it's like, oh man, wish they would have won. But I think when Clemson loses, it's kinda it's a tough weekend. Was it expected from you that they would have this sort of a, a start to the season, or did you think that maybe they would be a little more successful? I thought it would be a little bit more successful, but am I surprised I don't know if I'm surprised because really they start, I mean, it's, it's really a, a new offense. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think DJ didn't really have a good sample size, but we all kind of fell for it. We all kind of fell for the Notre Dame game and thinking like, oh, this will, this will turn over to the next season. But I also learned that, you know, every team is different, you know, from year to year is different. And the dynamics are different. And 
this team has, you know, basically a new offensive line, new running game, new quarterback. It's going to take a little time to gel. And I think the expectation of what Clemson has been in the last few years, everybody kind of thought that would kind of turn over and that would that would carry over into the next year and really hasn't. Yeah, well, I think the Alabama effect kind of kicks in too, right? Because it's like they seem to have, after a few years, a whole new group that comes in and they just still continue to pick up where they left off. So it almost just right. seems natural that you would think programs are just going to keep recruiting the guys and keep up the same success. No, it's. I think it's always, you always have to understand that it it's a process that keeps changing. Yeah, certainly. And if you don't change with that process, then you know you're gonna be left behind. So you have to be careful because I think it's fool's goal that you think that we're going to they're gonna always be there. They're gonna always, you know, do well. And that's just not always the case. Now in terms of the way the game is played, do you prefer college to NFL? Not including like the atmosphere, like the pageantry, but like the wider hash marks and more of the spread style? I think I've always just liked college football for the pageantry. I don't know about – there's nothing like playing in the NFL. If you're talking about strategy, you're talking about the best of the best, and you're talking about the best football, some of the greater, greater minds, I think, are in the NFL. No question about that. <clears throat> but I just kind of like the college game. You know, um, the enthusiasm of the college game is always good. Uh, I don't know. It's just kind of that. It's more, uh, okay, it's, it's amateur football, even though maybe some people will disagree. But it's still, it's, you know, NFL, man, it's, it's, you gotta, you gotta do your job, you know, in order to make your money. So it's more of a business. And although college football is a business, I think for the players, uh, it's an opportunity to keep dreaming big and keep going after it. And I think you're playing with guys that are going to be friends for life. So I just think that college has a little bit something there, you know, that I tend to enjoy. Maybe a little bit more innocence than the yeah. NFL does. Did you go to a lot of Clemson games when you were a child? I didn't go to any Clemson game as a kid, <laughs> to be honest with you. I The first time I went to a Clemson game was when I was being recruited. And Clemson is about almost four hours away from my hometown. And, you know, my parents, we just didn't, you know, my father worked uh, all the time. And we just didn't have a time. We just didn't really have time to drive four hours away to go to Clemson. And then, you know, my father is a minister and had to come back and you know, preach on Sunday. So that just wasn't our lifestyle. You know, we, we, I watched college football on TV. I really enjoyed it. But going to Clemson football games was just, it was just really big, really huge. Was that, was Clemson like your favorite team to watch when you were growing up or were you more in South Carolina? No, really. I actually like both teams. I, um, they're from South Carolina. So I, I, I think I cheered both. I didn't have, you know, a lot of people had, they either went for Clemson or they were, fans of South Carolina. I was a big fan of South Carolina State because that's where my brother's brother and sisters went to school. So I, my first exposure to a college game was actually South Carolina State. 
before Clemson or South Carolina. And you played uh, football from the time you were in high school, right? Yeah, my first time playing organized football was in the ninth grade, but, you know, just around the house, you just kind of throw the ball around, play with the neighborhood kids. So I, I played a lot of ball in that way and just kind of, you know, just having an imagination. I, I played a lot of ball before I actually played <laughs> organized ball. But the first time I ever played uh, organized football was in the ninth grade. And the funny part was I didn't really know how to put on my pass. Hmm. The first couple of times it was the thigh pass was kind of awkward to me. So I just really didn't know how to put those in, but playing the game was came really natural to me. It wasn't hard. And you played multiple sports, right? You, like you played basketball too and uh track. I think. Yeah, I, I played basketball, ran track. It was, I think honestly it's the best thing that I could have done. And then I also golly, you know, like me and my cousins, we used to play tennis a lot. Uh, we it wasn't we didn't have it at our school, but we uh, we learned how to play. We, I really liked tennis. I, I thought that tennis gave me the lateral movement that I needed, the quickness that I needed. So yeah, we played. I mean, from a small high school, you pretty much have to do it all. And so uh, I ended up playing basketball and running track. That seems to be kind of a. Uh, I- a time of a different era, right? Because nowadays you're playing one sport from the time you're six. Well, a lot of people, I should say, there are some people who still play multiple sports, but you feel like you kind of lose out on some different transferable skills that can help you cross train, you know? Yeah. You know, I always, I do football camps and I always urge my guys to, to play multiple sports. Mm -hmm. I, I think it does help with movement. I think that it makes you a better athlete if you do that. So I, I, I like the fact that I was able to play multiple sports in front of crowds. I think it just really helped me become a better football player. Now, did you pursue football because that's what came most natural to you? Or was it the game that you were most passionate about and wanted to dedicate more of your time to? I think it just really, football was just more natural to me. Um, it also fit, you know, the size and speed that I want. I mean, basketball, I really love basketball, but I was never going to be, uh, I, I knew that I, I wasn't going to be next level basketball player, even though I really enjoy basketball. And maybe if I was taller, I would have been uh, probably a pretty good power forward, but I like, I, I like football because it was just, it was more challenging. And like I said, I was just natural. I was more of a natural football player. And it fit my size and physicality. What position did you play first? Ooh, you're going to be kind of probably surprised. I played tight end and what we call, we had a tight end split in kind of thing. So I played some wide receiver, um, a lot of tight end, and I played outside linebacker. And I returned punts and kickoffs for my mm-hmm. team. Was there any player? So, uh, was there any player yeah. growing up that you used to watch as like uh, to craft your game around? Oh, I, I really loved Drew Pearson. I was a big Dallas Cowboy fan. Mm. And then as I got older, you know, I, I kind of looked at linebackers. I was definitely a Lawrence Taylor fan coming out of college, and uh, Derek Thomas, guys like that. Any kind of outside linebacker, I really kind of watched those guys, but. Then when I got to the NFL, they, you know, they 
put me at inside. And it was a position that I really never played before. So I wasn't that familiar. So my first year, I I kind of did more special team stuff and, you know, really grew into that position. And then the next year, I ended up being a starter. Uh, but really kind of green at the position. And I just really had to grow into it. It took me, I was saying, probably my uh, fourth or fifth years, really, when I became really accustomed and understood the position. It could be a little bit more cerebral. But when I first got there, it was just kind of athletic ability. I, I really, at inside, I really had to learn how to be a good technician because I really wasn't. I was just kind of, I was just able to do things um, quite naturally and just get into the ball. But then, you know, once you get accustomed to it and you understand what you're doing, and I realized being a uh, technician would help me be a better player. I really focused in on trying to develop those skills. Was it a, a surreal moment for you whenever you're in the NFL and you're playing against guys that you watched growing up, like Marcus Allen or Joe Montana? Like, Do you just pinch yourself with that moment to think who would have thought? I think you do. I think a lot of times you're like, man, what's my – Golly, that's Joe Montana. I can't believe it. Or that's Jerry Rice. Uh, and, you know, I did play against Marcus Allen before, and I was just like, whoa, Marcus Allen. can't believe I'm playing against Marcus Allen. And, yeah, there's a lot of guys that are like that that you've seen on television. And when you're playing against them, you're kind of amazed. You know, Barry Sanders, guys that you admire, but now you're on the same stage. Mm-hmm. And now you got to switch the molds and it's thinking like, you know what? I got to stop these guys. I got to, you know, um, forget that, you know, they were superstars and I might have played with them on Madden or something. I got to, I, I got to get, I got to get Marcus Allen down. I have no time to ask for his autograph. So <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely was surreal and it was kind of funny and, you know, but it was really cool. I really enjoy uh, my playing career and being able to play with some of the greats and then be considered a very good linebacker. I mean, that was amazing. Was there any player that you went up against that was just as good, if not better, than you remember them growing up watching? Ooh. I thought Joe Montana was pretty cool. Yeah. I, I thought Joe, I told, I thought Joe Montana, even though he was an older player, he was playing with Kansas City. He still had the wherewithal to uh, beat us. <laughs> and I mean, that last drive that he, he did, it was a work of art. I mean, he just really drove the ball down the field, taking what we gave him. It, it was amazing. It really was. And so he was as good as advertised, I thought. That's like that must hurt too. Growing up as a Cowboys fan, watching him in the in the drive with Dwight Clark. Oh yeah, uh, or not the drive, the uh, the catch. Yeah, I remember that too. I was a big Cowboy fan as well, and I get to, you know Dwight Clark with the Clemson, so I got to meet Dwight Clark, and um, I've you know got to maybe have a cup of coffee with Joe Montana, and yeah, I remember that. And then I talked to Sam Weiss. Who was, um, it was an offensive coordinator mm-hmm. back then. And, you know, he told me about the design and how 
how they designed that whole play. And I mean, it was, it broke my heart as a fan though, but it was an amazing play. Was that worse than either the uh, Super Bowl losses to the Steelers? Hmm. Well, I mean, the Super Bowl that I was in and that we ended up not winning was, I'm not going to say devastating because I felt that I played as well as I could possibly play. So I could, you know, I always measured that. If I can look in the mirror and say I did everything I could do, then I'm good with it. So even that Super Bowl that we ended up not winning, uh, it was great. I, I mean, it was a good time. That whole week that we were there, I mean, it was amazing. So I have no regrets. But, I mean, do we, do I wish we even won? Yeah, I do. But, I mean, it doesn't always work out that way. But I think if you go out there and you do it every day and you go out there and you're prepared, I mean, the results are going to be the results. Whenever you were going through the draft process, uh, was Pittsburgh always a team that you thought that was going to draft you, or were there some other teams that had expressed interest in you too? I'm going to be honest with you. Pittsburgh was the team that I wanted to be drafted by after I met Coach Coward. Mm. And we, going through the process, I wanted to get drafted by those guys so bad. So this is what I, this is a true story that happened when I was um, – the day I got drafted, I, um, I, I kind of had a feeling that I might not go first because, you know, now people were looking at me more so as a inside linebacker than an outside linebacker that I did in college. So, <clears throat> but I thought I probably should go second round. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't think no less than that. And it's kind of naive, but I just had a feeling that I should go in the second round. So, I remember when the pick came up, Pittsburgh, and I went into the bathroom and I looked in the mirror and I was just like, they're going to pick me. They're going to pick me. They're going to pick me. I was so confident that I went into, I went to my sister's kitchen table and I sat down where the phone was. The phone rings and it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. And they told me, welcome to the black and gold. And I was like thrilled because that's the team I wanted to play for. So it was awesome. And then, you know, once I got there and, and really being involved with Coach Coward just made me think like, man, this, I was so fortunate to be drafted to this organization uh, at the time that I was drafted there because we had defense. Our defensive coaches were Don Capers, Marvin Lewis, Dick LeBeau, John Mitchell, Tim Lewis. Uh, when I first kind of got there, and we had Jim Haslick there, so we had some really defensive, good, some really good defensive coaches. So that was the start. But also just being a part of the linebacker crew and this defense that I was surrounded with. I mean, we had really good, we had a really good team, great defense, and we had a good um, atmosphere. And I really think that that's really usually uh, the case. You know, being a, being around a good environment. Um, helps people blossom. And so I was just a product of my environment at the time, just being, just, you know, happened to be drafted with the Pittsburgh Steelers, being a part of the power influence, and it helped my game a whole lot. What was the uh, interaction like when you first met Coward that got you so excited about playing for him? 
I wasn't excited, but you know, you can't be like, you know, I wasn't like hugging the guy or anything like that, but we ended up having a really good relationship and it was a relationship that was kind of playful, uh, but a relationship with, I, for me, I had respect for Coach Cower. I thought that, um, you know, I liked the fact that he was young. I liked the fact that uh, he was okay with innovation, okay with taking risks, and that he played the game as well. I'm not saying you have to play the game to be a very good coach. That's not the case at all, but I think it made him more relatable. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think he understood, you know, what guys are going through, and I, I think that made him um, a really good coach. Now, why were teams looking at you as an inside backer when you played outside in college? Ooh, I don't, you know, I don't really know. I think maybe because, you know, most outside linebackers are a little taller, mm-hmm. uh, probably a better pass rusher than I was. But uh, fortunately, I was able to adapt. You know, they just saw a guy that was more athletic than most inside backers. They thought that I would fit. Yeah, and I I think most would remember you as big number ninety nine, the guy that was a little lighter than a, ta- a defensive tackle, but you're flying forty yards down the field to make interceptions. And I'm curious, man, like how long do you think it took for quarterbacks and receivers to stop underestimating you in pass coverage? <laughs> I think it took a while. <laughs> to be honest with you, I think you know probably. I would have to say they probably always tried me. I, I mean, I think I would if I saw a guy my size out there playing the middle back or, you know, I even played in the third down situations for a long time and I would go after me as well. But I, I think people did underestimate, underestimate it because of my size, but I was, uh, I was amazingly quick and I understood, you know, understood routes and what people are trying to do and um, I could catch the ball. So, and then, you know, I played a little bit of, I know it was all though high school, but I did play wide receiver and I played tight end. So I kind of understood it a little bit more than maybe most people do. Like you get definitely guys my size, they wouldn't really, you know, they would never guess that, but there's always an outlier, and I guess I was kind of an outlier at the time. Is there one interception that you always uh, were the most proud of? Uh, yeah, Dan Marino. Dan Marino? <laughs> my, yeah, my third year. Uh, I could, uh, well, they came up to the line of scrimmage. I think it was like second and 10 or something like that. And he had a tight end by the name of Keith Jackson. I think Keith played for Oklahoma Sooners. And I swear, Dan Marino looked at me. And then he looked at Keith Jackson and he kind of said something. And I'm like, oh, they're going to try me. They're going to try. So I, I, you know, I really, what I did was I took a step back and it was a play action pass, but I looked directly at Keith. He was coming off the line of scrimmage and I just kind of ran with him stride for stride. He looked back for the ball. I looked back. It was right there. And caught in my hands, man. It was a beautiful thing. It's one of my, that's the interception that I always remember. Did you, uh, Dan Marino say anything to you afterwards, after the game? Yeah, he didn't say anything after the game, but he was, you know, we, we always kind of were pretty cool. 
But years later, when I started coaching for my coach in Arizona, and I went up to him, and I was like, you know, there was a guy uh, that was with me. He really was a big Dan Marino fan. And I was like, hey, Dan, you know, hey, remember LeVar Kirkland? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, Dan, do you remember? He's like, yeah, the interception that you got from me. And uh, he remembered that. I couldn't believe, you know, Dan Marino remember an interception that he threw to me was uh, quite remarkable. I just never would have guessed it. Yeah, that's a great compliment. Yeah, it's a great compliment. I mean, it really was. And, I, you know, I have to say that I, I think I did earn my respect in the NFL uh, when I played. But, man, when you when guys like Dan Marino – after years, remember that play. I mean, it was kind of cool. When you look at the way the game is played today with all the sub packages and the exotic blitzes and coverages, do you just reflect on how ahead of the curve you guys were with Dick LeBeau and Don Capers on how you really brought about these new staples of a modern defense? I thought so. You know, one of the things that I thought was really uh, one of the things that we did well was with our outside linebackers. We you know, most guys, they play either Sam or the weak outside linebackers, but our outside linebackers had to learn both positions. Okay. So they stayed on, you know, they stayed on their side, but if anybody tried to maybe motion or change, uh, it would never work with us because our outside linebackers stay the same, but our is that me and Chad are Earl we will be able to switch. Mm-hmm. So it's easier for us to move than to say the outside linebackers to move because there's a greater distance from outside backer to outside backer instead of from inside backer. So we would just always move the inside backer, which was, uh, I thought, a smart way to go. I, I think that when you're talking about, you know, uh, positions now for the outside backers, you never had to play the next Sam or Will. You played the next backer who was good. And I think a lot of times teams who only play, this guy only plays Sam, this guy only plays Will, I think it gets you into trouble when guys are moving guys around, um, what we call scrambling, changing the formation, mm-hmm. changing the strength of the formation. Now I think you got guys running around and then you can catch, you know, then they catch them without outside backers being able to play, um, both positions. I thought it really worked pretty well. And then also what we did a lot, you know, you see it still today is we were probably one of the first defenses that will walk their inside backers up. We would play around the line of scrimmage, dropping off. Defensive tackles, nose guards, bringing, you know, bringing guys from the, from the slot or the defensive, you know, the corner. And I, I thought that blitzing kind of, that blitzing, that what we call blitz zone really worked very well for all of us. Yeah, I remember when I first started watching the Steelers, I would see guys who were defensive linemen like Brett Hazel or Aaron Smith up moving around and then sometimes dropping into coverage. And it was like, man, this is so unconventional. <laughs> we did it before then. We did yeah. it. We were probably, like I said, we were probably one of the first teams to do it at that time where you you never knew who was really actually coming in a lot of situations. So 
that kind of thing, that kind of thing worked for us. Well, and what's interesting too is like how you could still see like some of the same exact plays in a way. Like one noticeable blitz that I remember watching growing up is Farrier and Foot would cross um, mm-hmm. a gaps in that blitz with uh, Casey Hampton tying up the center. But you could see you yeah. and Chad Brown running that same exact blitz. So it's cool that like the generations are kind of linked by, in, in some cases, some players like Jerry um, Olsovsky right now as the backers coach. Or like yeah. um, you know Butler having spent so much time with Lebeau that that's still or some tradition traditional well, blitzes that's it. It was it was our inside fire. I, I know the call is inside fire zone, hmm. and you know the the position I play would go in would cross would hit the center actually, and Chad Brown would just come around, hmm. and sometimes we would have the nose guard drop off, and sometimes he would also be in the blitz as well. So we did that. I'm not saying we were the first to do that, but we really were um, doing my era, one of the teams who did it on a consistent level. And I'm telling you, that bliss was a monster for people. A lot of times people couldn't really block that. And especially if you hit it right, you know, um, if you can ricochet off that block a lot of times, you know, it'll force you right into the quarterback. And back then, we we didn't have the dual threat quarterbacks that we have now. So those guys were kind of sitting ducks <laughs> if, we, if they didn't block it up or they didn't see it right. How much of a, the learning process when you were learning defense in the NFL was recognizing the tendencies of offensive linemen? Oh, that was a big part. But for me, I'll be honest with you, I kind of looked at the running backs at the time mm-hmm. because the running backs or the fullbacks really kind of gave it away more so. And I kind of felt the offensive alignment, if you know what I mean. Like, my main key was, you know, uh, fullback, running back. And I would just kind of feel what the offensive alignment would do. You know, it, it's still the same, I think, in a lot of ways. Uh, they try to document it up a little bit, but the offensive line can't really fool you if you really, if you really focus on them and you really kind of key on them. They're going to tell you exactly what's going on. Mm. I, in my opinion, I always felt that way. Like even play action pass, you know, as I got older, it never fooled me because I knew the offensive linemen, they had to kind of come up a little bit. They had a pass protect, even though it seemed like it was a run. They had a pass protect. And then a lot of times, um, you know, things like bootlegs and stuff like that. I was just looking at the tight end. The tight end would kind of tell you what was going on. So, you know, you you have your different keys. And what I see a lot of times now, especially from the outside linebacker perspective, you see guys looking in the backfield, even though they have a tight end right in front of them. And a tight end is kind of going to tell you, well, I got a block down, I got a base block, or I'm trying to free release. They kind of give it away a little bit. Yeah. But, I'm not sure if that's always taught, but you know, then again, you know, maybe there's different ways of teaching things. So what do I know? What was the hardest offense for you to prepare for? Because the nineties, you saw a lot of variety in terms of like, you know, the zone blocking scheme out of Denver and the West coast Mm -hmm. offense was spreading around. So what was hardest for you? Do you think to prep uh, prepare for going into game? Uh, I didn't think I'm be honest with you. Quite frankly, I didn't think any of it was hard. Mm. Uh, I didn't think any of the schemes were hard. It was the players. 
that was always the tough thing. It was never, I mean, scheme is scheme, but it's the players that you're going against. Yeah. Because I can design a play that's supposed to stop another play. But if you have a really dynamic player like a Barry Sanders, mm-hmm. he can he can kill that scheme. Right. Players can, like, it's the players. It's not so people kind of fall in with the scheme and the scheme. Scheme is definitely a part of it, but I think also depending on who you're going against. Yeah. Yeah. It's like some people will say that uh, a lot of people make the argument that a scheme can um, shorten the divide between two teams, but it can only do that if the talent is somewhat similar. You got to have the, I think you got to have the talent. I mean, I think you got to have it all. Be honest with you, gotta have it all. You gotta work it in. Your scheme gotta kind of fit what you what what your players can do. Like a lot of times when you just put in a system, it may not always agree with the players that you have. So, like when we played the three four, it really matched up well for us because we had the players that they can that the players that can plug in. And I'm talking from a I'm talking from a linebacker's perspective. In a three-four, you almost have to have the right guy at the right position. You know, um, you know, your two outside linebackers have to be able to rush the passer um, really well. And I'm not just saying, okay, I'm talking about guys who can really get there. We had Kevin and we had uh, Greg. Those guys can really rush the passer, really put heat on the quarterback. Uh, and then you looked at me and Chad. I was more of uh, the guy who can do it all, who can stop the run, who can cover pass, who can kind of do a little bit of the dirty work, take on guards, uh, take on fullbacks. And Chad was just a guy who could really clean up very well. What I mean by that, he can make plays, you know. Mm. Um, and then he has some really – he was a really good pass rusher as well. So we had the we had the dynamic that really fit that defense, and a lot of times when we talk about schemes, uh, they have to be able to match up with the players that you got. And whenever we talk about the um, the success of the Steelers in the nineties, I mean that defense and the offense too had uh, really good years that got to the AFC Championship three times, and in ninety five, that's when you guys crossed the threshold and got to the Super Bowl. What was unique to you about that ninety five team that was able to cross over that barrier to get to the big game? You know, actually, I thought the ninety four team was a better team. I thought we were uh, thought, really, yeah. I, I thought we were more talented. You know, that defense was amazing. Outstanding. I mean, nobody could do anything against us. But in a lot of ways, too, we we had to go through the process. And you know, San Diego, um, it just it just shows you that you when you're in a playoff situation, no matter what everybody in the outside world is telling you and how you're gonna win, you still have to win the game. Yeah. And I thought we were better than San Diego that year. But San Diego, they fought and they made the plays they had to make to to win that game, and we did. And it, you know that that game was devastating. But the next year, we you know the '95 team, you know we started off three and four, so we started off slow. We had some injuries, but I thought Coach Kyle did a great job uh, refocusing us, 
putting us in a great mindset and saying, <clears throat> you know, forget the three or four start. You know, we're, we're going to start the season over with. And I remember us playing Jacksonville. Jacksonville beat us earlier in that year. And we beat them at home. Then we went to Chicago, which I thought was a pivotal, pivotal, I mean, pivotal game for us, where we uh, went to Chicago. They were pretty good that year. They were like five and two. And we went there. We played them overtime at Soldier Field, and we ended up winning that game. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we kind of took off. And that's when Cordell kind of came into play. Cordell was the fifth receiver. Nobody had an answer for him. I did, the defense started gelling again, even though we did lose Ron Woodson. We kind of put Cardinal late on the other corner. And the most important thing was, is that as a team, we started hanging out more. You know, like the whole team would go to, uh, I forget what Bard is, that was across from the stadium. And we really got to know each other. And I really felt that that team was a closer team as far as relationship. But I thought the 94 team, you can ask anybody who's on that team, the 94 team was actually a lot, um, they were actually a lot more talented. We had a talented team that year. But I thought the 95 team that they bought it all together. And we were in that AFC championship. And we knew we just had to get it done some kind of way, and we actually did. Yeah, well, that that 94 championship game is kind of a perfect example of how penalties can just kill a drive. Because after that John L. Williams touchdown, you think that it was just going to run away. But it feels like every time the offense had crossed midfield that they just kind of got a holding call that would kill the drive, or in some cases, a turnover. Yeah, it was something. I thought Junior Seau played lights out that game Oh yeah, as well. But yeah, it was always something. I mean, even the Pat, when, we, when they threw the pass to Eric Green, I was like, oh, yeah, we, we're about to score. We're about to go in. But, you know, give San Diego credit. They did what they needed to do yeah, uh, to win that game. It, it was it was definitely uh, a learning experience. And, and the next time we got there, we were more humble about it. And we knew that we could not take the Colts for granted. And it was a hard-fought battle the whole time. We ended up winning that game. But – I'm telling you, man, um, I think having that experience of being in the AFC championship where you're just, you know, you were the team that everybody thought was going to be there. And we just kind of bought into the hype a little bit. You know, we just yeah. thought that oh, we're going to beat San, you know, we'll beat this team. And that wasn't the case. Well, so man. the next year came in a little bit more focused. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that drive or that run that you were talking about, um, when you start against Chicago, I mean, you could just see it. And uh, especially in the defense's eyes, sort of that do or die moment. I mean, whenever Eric Kramer, like you said, had a good season, I mean, I think he only had four interceptions and he had 18 touchdowns going into that game. And you guys picked him off three times. So you could just see yeah. that there was a resilience there that you guys were ready to start turning this thing around. We we did. And we kind of really bought into Coach Kyra's message about, you know, just really starting over. But I think any good team, you know, coaches can say whatever, but I think it's always up to the players uh, to take ownership. Mm-hmm. And I felt like we took ownership. And we just said, you know, let's go to work. Let's do the little things right. Let's, you know, let's not just go through the motions. And we did that. And, I mean, we, we had a tremendous run. 
it would have been so much better. If we were, I mean, it would have been a great story. It would have been a story that you heard about if we would have won that Super Bowl, a team that went from three and four to winning the whole thing. And we felt like we were going to do it, but it just didn't work out for us. But yeah, let's talk. Man, let's we, go. Let's go deeper into that Super Bowl because obviously mm-hmm. Dallas was coming in having won two Super Bowls, so they had the experience. And you have Irvin. Uh, Aikman, Emmett Smith, they're all in the prime of their Hall of Fame careers. Offensive line is the heaviest, one of the heaviest in history. I mean, what was the weakness that you guys saw on defense that you felt that you could exploit and take advantage of? Any like particular matchups or? Um, well, we just thought we were, I don't know if it was a matchup or anything like that, but we felt like uh, we were really good defense and that we had, I guess, their basic kind of we're bigger than you and we're just going to mash you and smash you. Mm-hmm. We thought we were at least quicker on defense. And we thought we had pretty good speed. And, you know, they are now, they were a good offensive line. There's no question about it. But I think that first couple of drives we were, you know, we we're just trying to settle down. And then once we settled down and knew that, okay, we can, we can play with these guys. We can beat these guys. Uh, it really started playing p- pretty well for us. So, I mean, give them credit, man. They were a great team, and they knew how to win, and they knew how to win the Super Bowl. We were uh, inexperienced as far as being in the Super Bowl, but we felt like we were a team that could compete with them. And, and I really thought we did pretty well competing with them. I think, you know, it goes to show you cannot make you cannot make big mistakes against a great team like Dallas and expect to win. And we, we made two turnovers that really, uh, turned the game around and yeah. gave them great, you know, and gave them great position to score. But maybe we could have stopped them as well. But, you know, uh, I think that last interception just really did something to us because we, we crawl and fought to come back to just three points. And then when they, when they, um, when they got the ball back, I think we were just deflated. You know, well, yeah, I mean, after that onside kick, the momentum was completely shifting towards you guys. And then, I mean, it's a shame for Neil, too, because I think that season, you know, he had a, a good season as well, like operating out of that five wide receiver. I mean, that was what was working in that game for them or for you guys. Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, that was a way we were innovative. And, you know, I tell people all the time that Neil was the one who got us there. I mean, like, um, that he threw an amazing pass to Ernie Mills that mm-hmm. got, for the, championship game that got us there and you know it was unlike neil to throw interception he wasn't really uh he didn't really throw a lot of interceptions at the time did you know the onside kick was coming i did not know that i did not so know. To see it. but well well the thing well i, I wasn't there for the decision but you know we kind of well we did know like okay we're gonna go all sides here i'm like oh my god I said for real, and it worked to perfection. They were totally fooled. They had no idea they were going to go onside. It was a great call. Oh, I think I think it's actually probably a better call than the uh, other onside kick that Sean Payton made in uh, against the Colts. Oh uh, yeah, I, I think this I think this one just totally got them by surprise. Just yeah. totally. I mean, it was, and, and sometimes it's you know it's a flow of the game and. You know, they kept seeing them just really bailing out real quickly when uh, we kicked the ball off a couple of times and they're just 
I think Bobby April was the one was like, should we go surprise onside kick? And Coach Carr just kind of contemplated for a second. He's like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. I mean, it takes a lot of guts for somebody. I mean, somebody could suggest something. And although Coach Carr wasn't the one that suggested it, he was the one who okayed it. Right. Most most head coaches probably would be like, oh, hell no. Nah, <laughs> no, let's kick it. But he was like, yeah, let's do it. And we went down and scored, and we were only down by three. And then the defense came in, and um, we did a good job of stopping them. And I really felt like at that point, with the momentum on our side, we were only down by three with I don't know how much time was left in the game, not a whole lot of time, mm-hmm. maybe four minutes or so. I thought we were going to win because I really felt on defense they could not score. They could not drive the ball on us. Well, after that onside onside kick, that's when you got the sack, right, on uh, Aikman? Yes, yes, I did. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. at that moment, it just kind of seemed like there was no way that Pittsburgh was going to lose. Well, you know, and the the thing about it, though, that play, uh, I messed up on a play before that. It was a play that they threw to uh, Kevin Williams. If I would have pushed over there, I might have probably maybe intercepted it or at least knocked it down. Mm-hmm. So when they called close, they called close, he was on line, which means that we're going from the close side, which was a tight end side at the time. Um, I think either, was it Kevin? Yeah, it was Kevin coming from the outside. Our end was going to loop all the way into the A gap, and I was going to come right off his butt into the B gap. Mm. And I think Emmett Smith uh, was going to—he was blocking the wrong guy. I mean, I'm Scott Free, and then the next thing you know, Emmett flashes in front of me, and that's when I kind of reached for Troy, and I, I, my momentum was able to knock him down. But I'm telling you, a second in. I'm t- I I would have killed Troy Aikman. I'm telling yeah. you, I was like, he was dead in the water. Yeah. If Emmett Smith doesn't like clip me at the last moment, uh, Troy Aikman's probably going to fumble that ball and I probably would have hurt him. I mean, you had to use every inch of your body to reach Troy though, because I mean, as he was backing up. Every down, inch. I mean, I saw it at like the last second and I leaped over and I just kind of brushed at him. And he fell down. The momentum, because I'm, my momentum was so fast and furious that if I would have hit him, he would have. I'm telling you, he would have fumbled. Has he ever mentioned that sack to you in years afterwards? Uh, I don't know if he ever did. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Just, but that sack would have probably been iconic if we would have won it. <laughs> well, it's an iconic like uh, photo too. Like if you watch it from the the television. Broadcast. I mean, it just right. has the look of a, a man that's trying to put everything on the line to win a game. Yeah. Well, I just kind of thought that I had to make, I'm just like, I'm going to make a play. And I mean, before it came, I was like, I'm, I'm going to make this play. And, you know, it wasn't quite the way I, I envisioned it, but it was still pretty good. Do you think if you guys were able to keep a lot of the same players, because in the years, a couple years after that, you know, you had some guys that had departed like Lloyd and Green. I mean, do you guys think, and I you know Donald too, do you guys think you would have been able to win a Super Bowl if you guys would have been able to stick together? If we could have stick together one more year, we would have won it. Yeah. We would have won it. 
because, you know, we would have had the experience of being in there, um, especially if we could have kept, and, and that was the bummer about it. You couldn't keep everybody, yeah. you know, but we would have been uh, one of those teams that would have been, we would have worked together so much that we would have just jailed. And I feel like we would have been a team that would have been like, okay, we're going to, we're going to win it this year. Is that a big adjustment for you when you have a lot of guys leaving to learn the different styles of your teammates that are coming in to take their place? Or did you kind of play with a lot of the backups enough to kind of get a sense of their tendencies and what they bring to that position? Well, when everybody kind of, I'll tell you when, um, I'm not sure. Well, Kevin left that year Mm -hmm. and Greg got hurt like the year after the Super Bowl. So we had to do some uh, maneuvering to help us out. So we ended up moving Chad to outside backer. You know, Jason got hurt too, but Jason came back. And it was me and Jerry O that were playing inside backer. Uh, That was a good combination. I'm telling you, man, Chad and the outside. Chad had, I think, I remember one game he had like five sacks. I mean, we were, um, it was really me and Chad's time to shine because the years before it was, it was all, it was Greg and Kevin. And it was, we kind of felt that we were, I was in my fifth year. He was in his fourth year. And we felt like this is our time, uh, to get to that next level. And we really did. And there was a lot of change that year in that team. But we still end up going to the playoffs. And then even after that year, the next year we had even more change called Chad left. Uh, some other guys left as well. And it was all, we always just like, we, we just kind of, we just kind of had to adjust to the different players that we kind of had to deal with. And then I got, I think it got to a point where we, I mean, I think I was me. Uh, I was like maybe the only guy left. And maybe somebody else, maybe Lake or somebody like that. Uh, we were totally a different team, a totally different defense. So, um, although we still were a pretty decent defense, I mean, uh, a lot of times, you know, it's like I said, you can have a great system intact, a great scheme, but you got to have the players to execute the scheme. Oh, you still did well. You had the interception in the uh, 97 championship game against Elway. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it was kind of crazy because they ran that play, but like the play before, oh, really? and I'm just like, and when they did it, I said, I can't believe they're doing this play again. <laughs> and they did it again, and basically, I just kind of stuck my arm out there, and you know, the ball kind of stuck there for a second. I was able to get it from Shannon, but I was kind of motivated that game because I remember the year before that's my first year going to the Pro Bowl. And I mean, Shannon was talking trash to me about I couldn't guard him, I couldn't cover him. And I remember he went, he took off on a basically a seam route, and I I was with him stride for stride, and uh, almost got my second interception. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I remember I remember that game. It was, it was another heartbreaker, another championship game that we lost. You know, and, you know, it's a team that we beat the, you know, you know, earlier in the year, 
that we kind of, you know, we we got after it a little bit. But, you know, that was a team that I was like, man, you know, um, you're never afraid to play a team, but, like, sometimes you're just like, I don't really want to see that team. I was, I was willing to play. I remember it was Kansas City and Denver, and I was, I was like, hope Kansas City wins, even if we have to go to Kansas City, because I felt like we could beat Kansas City. I felt like we were going to beat Kansas City. Denver was just a a team that was a veteran team. They made a lot of mistakes the game before the game we played before, and we still only lost by three. But you know that was a that was a you know, there was a heady veteran team. And we were kind of, in a lot of spots, we were young. Yeah. Is that, and we yeah. weren't quite there. Is that, the kind of, is that the kind of game when you played them a few weeks <clears throat> earlier that you wish you would have lost because it's so difficult to beat them twice? Uh, it's not so much that. I probably just wish we would only played them, like, maybe in the playoffs. Mm. And they wouldn't have been accustomed to us because a lot of times when you beat a good team like that, if you play them again, you better you better be willing to die. You rather you know they don't have to kill us to beat us kind of mentality. Yeah, because they're not trying to lose, and they're going to focus in. They're going to play well. So, it, like I said, it wasn't that I didn't want to. I wanted to play Kansas City because I thought we were better. I didn't want to play Denver so much because we played them before. And I thought they would be super motivated to play the game. One plus they still have that game film too. So it feels like you had to add a whole new repertoire of plays. Right. And we were, and see, the thing was too, a lot of times when you play a team that you beat before and you got to come back and play them again, like in a playoff situation, they usually make the better adjustments because they lost. So they know like we got to make better adjustments. We got to do things a little different. Than what we did before because we wasn't successful. The team that usually wins that game, they're thinking, "Oh, we good." This is he, you know, this human nature. Like, be not complacent, but just understand. We well, what we did last time worked well. Guess let's do that again. But they made the adjustments, and we really didn't. Well, the, game, the Steeler game that sticks out to me, what you just said the most, is in two thousand four when the Patriots. Had lost their uh, like twenty four game losing uh, winning streak to Pittsburgh in Ben's rookie year, and then the AFC mm-hmm. Championship game they went to Pittsburgh and just clobbered them. Yeah, because you make like I'm telling you, we you 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 learn from losing. Yeah. Now you don't want to lose like a lot. That's not good. I don't care. Losing sucks, but sometimes you can really learn from it. You know. Yeah. And especially if you're a good team or a good organization and you lose a game and you can reflect on it and say like, okay, if we did, you know, there's probably like five plays or so that you could have done better on. And you can always say like, you know, if we, if we do this and we do that and we get the opportunity to play them again, then these are the adjustments we can make. And then you're just, you're just more focused. Yeah. You're more focused on what you got to do. And in that game, Denver was, you know, there's other, you know, other times. So, you know, football teaches us a lot of lessons if we pay attention to it. That's, that's the key. That's you got to pay attention. 
Right. You got to pay because it happens over and over and over again. You know, teams, you beat a team, you get, you know, you play them again, you think, like, oh, we're going to beat this team. Yeah. And not to, especially in the playoffs. In the playoffs, I know people think about home field advantage and stuff like that. To me, uh, that doesn't matter. There's <laughs> really? another level of playing. No, I, I, like, like playing, sometimes it's more, uh, it's less of a distraction if you're playing away. You think about it. Um, you don't have to really deal with family and fans and all that stuff, trying to come to the game, you know, trying to get everybody situated, especially in a playoff game. There's a lot more distractions. So that's in- you go-, go ahead. That's interesting because I figured if you were at another team's stadium, you had to always account for the crowd noise that's working against you instead of for you. Well, it can work. I mean, like sometimes you can take that energy and make it work for you. Like a lot of times I like playing away because I like the booze of the crowd. Mm. And so I looked at that as like, we're the bad guys. You know, sometimes it's fun to be the bad guy. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, can the stadium, can being playing at home work for you? Yeah, it can. And normally it does. It, it does. But I think in a playoff situation, that's not always necessarily so. Yeah, and you've seen countless times where the team at home just got never really finished the job. I mean, even the Steelers in 2005 went on the road all three yeah. games to get to the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's a, you know, like, and then, like, the, that's why I love the, the NFL playoffs to me is the best mm-hmm. because I feel that the, the elevation of play is there. It is, I mean, guys are going to play, um, at another level. It, I mean, it's faster, it's, uh, is, <laughs> is, is more physical as everything. Uh, guys are, you know, um, they're playing for, you know, prestige. They're playing for history. Yeah. And, and you know, if you win that Super Bowl, man, it's going to, you're going to be, um, you're going to be in history books forever. Mm-hmm. If you lose it, you're just going to be a footnote. So yeah, that's the ultimate motivation. Yeah. That's, I mean, like, you, you want to look back and say, man, you, you, you are a champion. Now, I got uh, just a couple more questions. Um, if you could play with one Steeler defender before your time and one Steeler defender that came after your time, who, what two players would you like to have played with? Oh, I think I would have played with Troy. Mm-hmm. And, now, this is a tough one. I'm thinking between Jack Ham. And maybe mean Joe Green. The reason why I say Jack Ham is because I think me and Jack would have had a really good relationship and would have fed off each other. Have you met Jack? Have you met Jack? I met Jack. We, we got along great. That's what I'm saying. I think it would have been, I think we had the same type of temperament and it would have messed pretty well. Yeah, the guy was just one of the most cerebral players ever, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a cerebral player, and I think that would have just – I would have worked really well with him. And I think Mean Joe is probably would have just – to have somebody like that in front of you to, you know, protect you and make plays, man. 
that would have been great. Yeah. It also would have been a cool combination to see, like, if um, Troy and Rod Woodson were together. Oh, well, both now, I think both of those guys were kind of gamblers. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure how that all worked out. We might have had to play them opposite of each other. Right, yeah. Because Rod always, like, you know, back then, you kind of, I think back then you played, like, you understood what a guy could do and what he's going to do. And so you just kind of played off it. Yeah. Well, one one of the great plays I remember seeing Rod make, and it's not one of, his greatest plays, but it just sticks out whenever the following year after you guys, it was 96 divisional when the Colts came back to Pittsburgh and that was mm-hmm. Marvin Harris's rookie year and yeah. Harbaugh hands the ball off to Marshall Falk and Falk tries to cut behind Harrison who's blocking Woodson and Woodson just lowers his body, just shoves Harrison oh, yeah. back into yeah. Falk and knocks well, him out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, Rob was a pretty big DB, you know, mm-hmm. um, back. He was, uh, he had good size on. And Rod wasn't, I mean, Rod could do everything. He wasn't afraid to come up and make tackles. I mean, guy had a lot of sacks too, as well, especially when we started sending those guys off the corners. But Rod could do everything pretty well. To me, he was uh, an amazing guy to watch. Really was. I mean, I was in awe with Rod Wilson. I mean, he was like, like a legend walking into the locker room. And I mean, we were, you know, contemporaries and to see him just do his thing each and every Sunday was uh, a joy to watch. How impressed were you whenever he came back in 95 to play in the Super Bowl after missing the whole season? That was pretty impressive. (laughs) And we really thought he was out, but I mean, for him to come back shows a lot of fortitude. It really does. And it's not surprising why he's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, because it does take a. I think it does take a mindset to be in the Hall of Fame. There's, I mean, you know, of course, there's a, there's some other factors, but I think more importantly is that mindset um, to get there. Well, I love the play too. Whenever he was covering Harrison and he knocks a pass away and he gets up and starts uh, taunting him, putting like his knee up in the air, pointing at it, and how he just came back yeah. from that. That was so uh, much fun. I was player now. I mean. And when I say he's a player, I mean he's elite player. Just mm-hmm. a, a guy that can, you know, a lot of times we, you know, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. <laughs> and a lot of times you can always count on Rod to make a play. Yeah. A huge play. And that's what he provided for our defense. I mean, pick six, sixes that just really turned the game around. Big plays. You can always count on Rod to do the make the big play. So when it comes to the NFL in the nineties, I mean, can you describe what made that decade so unique for the NFL? And could you make the case that it was the best decade for the league? Oh, I think it was a great decade. I think every every decade has its greatness. I think it was a great decade because in a lot of ways, it was just, you know, it was equal. There was not so much, you know, it wasn't as offensive slanted as it is now. Yeah. Um, it was where you could, on defense, you could intimidate the guy by hitting him like a second late. Mm-hmm. 
you know, we you can send messages, and that's what defense is. Defense is just like sending the offense these messages that we're going to do this, you know, regardless if you throw the ball. <laughs> you know, nothing cheap, but, you know, we're going to come after you. Yeah. You know, um, we're going to be physical with you because we don't know what you're doing, so we got to be physical. We got to be able to knock you off your game. And that's what I liked about it. It was more of a kind of man-on-man kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. It's more in the box. Uh, but it had enough innovation that, that people were throwing the ball West Coast. You know, um, it still was a game that scored enough, but it was just, uh, I mean, I think it was just a very competitive uh, period in the game. Just a lot of, like, just a lot of physicality. Yeah, I remember like a couple of years ago, Greg Lloyd was uh, asked about, you know, what do you think of the game today? And he's like, I can never play in it. And he was talking about the Legion of Boom. He's like, I've never seen them put the boom on anyone. <laughs> that was, that, that, that would was, be great. Like, I think that the group we had was fantastic. The linebackers we had were just uh, amazing, I thought. I, I didn't think there was any, um, in the 90s, I don't know if there was a better set of linebackers. I mean, I mean to have four guys. And now I knew the New Orleans Saints; they were really good. You know, they had Passwell and all those guys. Don't patrol. But I thought I thought that we were. Um, I thought we played off each other very well. I thought that we were all we we're all good. Yeah, you know, we're. And it's hard to find. It's hard to find guys like that. And all four guys are super good. Mm-hmm. It, I don't think you, I don't know if you find that as much anymore. Yeah, well, it, it kind of feels like because of how much of a sub package game it is that you kind of lose out on what makes like a four three special with the defensive line or a three four with a good uh, group of linebackers. You know, you kind of miss out on that unit because the defense is almost so amoebic. Right. Right. And, I mean, and uh, uh, honestly, too, it's probably hard to find guys who can do it all. Right. You know? Yeah. Because we did, I mean, like, we, I mean, pass coverage, blitzing the quarterback, stopping the run. We did a lot of that. Yeah, certainly. So the last question I have is that you are uh, a finalist for the 2020 College Football Hall of Fame. And obviously that took a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to get to that point. But if there was one person that you had a credit for being with you along that journey and really being able to push you to be the player that you were, who would you say was that person that really gave you that spark and motivated you along with your own self-motivation? Oh, wow. You mean player or coach? Uh, actually, if you, if, if, you wanted, if you want to do one of each, you can give me that. Okay, I do. Now, there was one player that nobody's ever heard of before. Uh, this guy's name was Jesse Hatcher. Jesse was, uh, I think Jesse, when I came in, Jesse was a junior, but he was unique in a lot of ways. He came from a junior college, and then also he was in the Army. He was in the reserves. So after games sometimes, he would have to go on duty which was like very unique from, you know, to see somebody who just played a game has to hurry up and get dressed, drive down to do duty. <laughs> right. It's crazy. And he was in college. So it was, 
it was like, wow. And me and him became really close. And I kind of patterned myself off of the way he practiced because he practiced full out. And he was a good college player. I mean, really good little player. Um, could get out the quarterback. But he was like an older brother to me. And he really, not only football-wise, but just life lessons that he would give me because he was older, a little bit more mature than maybe most college players. And I was drawn to that. Um, other guys, too, that were mentors to me, but they didn't know it. Guys like Damani Dawson, I just loved the way he carried himself. We ended up being roommates on the road. Guys like Kevin and Greg. Um, Greg was, I mean, Kevin was the guy who immediately just came up to me my second year. And he came from the Rams. He's like, I'm telling you, Big Kurt, you got everything. He's called me LK. And did you know, G Lord, just the way he practiced, the way he played, just that badass that I kind of wish I was. <laughs> mm-hmm. But he was that, you know, he was that guy that did not care about what anybody thought. He was a real deal. It's um it's a shame that he's not in the um not in the Hall of Fame because during that era he was the most feared linebacker in the NFL. Nobody messed with Greg Lloyd. Mm-hmm. Uh, coaches, uh, my high school coach, Coach Flyers, who was the first one to tell me that he thought I could go to the next level. Miles um, Audres, who recruited me out of Clemson when I wasn't very highly recruited. And he really developed a relationship with me. And he was more so like, you know, no promises, no sales gimmicks. Or anything like that. He was just straight up. He thought I could, he thought I could play. And he said, I'm going to fight for you to get a scholarship. He ended up getting me a scholarship and it changed my life. Um, Gene Chisick, the guy who used to coach for, uh, the Auburn, Auburn Tigers, um, when they won the national championship, uh, I pulled him aside one day and told him that I wanted to be a great player when I was in college. But I was making a lot of mistakes. But I was making a lot of plays, but I was making a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. And I just asked him, could you help me understand the defense a little better? And it wasn't something that we formally did. We just kind of met and just kind of talked. And he was able to really, I mean, the next year, I end up, like, really not making a lot of mistakes at all. End up winning the MVP for the Gator Bowl. Uh, oh, God, it's a lot of coaches, man. It's, it's so many people. I, I can't really name just one person. I mean, Coach Kyle was a big influence. Nick LeBeau, Don Capers, Marvin Lewis, you know, John Mitchell, Tim Lewis, um, those guys on staff. I mean, Jerry Oslowski helped me because I didn't really know how to play the inside position. Jerry Oslowski helped me. He really helped me play the position at a time where – rookies were not well-received by the veterans. <laughs> you know, when yeah. guys just, they would not help you. Uh, I'm not lying. Like, you had to earn your spot on the team. You had to earn your respect. And it wasn't given. Mm. And so Jerry O went out of his way to kind of help me understand the position, what I need to look for. 
maybe it would have been easier if I asked you who wasn't a help along the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, I just I'm just saying back then I, I just the NFL was a it, it was a different beast, you know, guys, and it's always a different beast every decade. You know, it's going to be different. Yeah, but like I said in my time, um, you know, like you, you know, you got to show up, you know, and I ain't gonna show you how to do it. <laughs> you had to learn how to, you had to learn on the fly how to be a professional. It kind of makes me just ask uh, off the top of my head: whenever you got to camp, was there uh, like um, a veteran that called you out, like trying to put you in your place in practice, like to intimidate you? No, I don't think so. I was intimidated by one guy named Carl Hasselbeck. God rest his soul. Yeah. That might have been the best guard. Five ten guard I've ever seen in my life. Mm. I don't know if you know that much about Carl Hasselrig, but he was like uh NCAA wrestling champ. He never played football in college, and he was one of the best guards I've ever seen. Wow! At that level, look him up. I'm telling you, Carl Hasselrig. I will. Yeah, he just you know he just had his issues. He just had some drug issues, but I mean that dude can play. Yeah, I'll definitely check him out. All right, LaVon, this was really fun to talk to you, man. I'm really glad that you took the time. You gave me a lot of time, which I'm very grateful for. And I really enjoyed hearing your stories, man. Thank you. Yeah, man, no problem. Thank you. 